0: Hi everyone and welcome to the latest edition of Coffee with Innovate Finance, a series of bite-sized interviews with leading experts from across industry where we look at the future of financial services. I'm Janine Hirsch, Chief Operating Officer here at Innovate Finance, and I'm really delighted to introduce my guest for today, Freddie Kelly, CEO and founder of Credit Kudos. Credit Kudos is a regulated credit reference agency using data from borrowers to measure risk through open banking and PSD2, enabling lenders to redefine their overall lending strategies and approaches. Freddie is an experienced professional within the fintech community and also a long-time member of Innovate Finance, so it's my real pleasure that he has found the time to join us today. So, Freddie, thank you so much for being here.
1: Not at all. Thank you for having me.
0: I think mean, to kick things off, it would be great if you could tell us just a bit more about Credit Kudos and how it all began back in 2015.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, as you say, uh, we set out trying to disrupt and change the model of credit scoring or credit referencing. Um, so, if you don't know what that is, basically, whenever you apply for a financial product, so typically a loan or a credit card or even an overdraft or something like that, um, the bank or lender will will use one of um, three companies. Um, that exist in the UK and the US to a, a judge whether you're credit worthy and whether you can afford to repay and are likely to pay back the money. Um, and essentially the, the model of, of sort of how this works under the hood hasn't really changed in a very long time. And so we saw a really big opportunity with things like PSD2 that you mentioned and open banking coming into uh, sort of fruition to invent a more effective, more transparent and more consumer centric way of, uh, performing that credit check, and that's what credit kudos is.
0: Great. And I think impressively you recently completed a five million series A, and which isn't an easy feat in the midst of COVID-19. Can you tell us a bit more about how your upcoming plans have changed uh, now that you've raised this additional capital?
1: Yeah, so we we were um fortunate to to be sort of um mostly over the line in terms of the 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 overall fundraising process. I mean, it always takes a lot longer than the uh, I guess the TechCrunch article uh, portrays, but um we'd kind of done a lot of the work um, prior to to the lockdown and the the sort of outbreak and and so we were having conversations throughout that were very very close to our both new and existing investors and sort of talking about what this meant for the business um and and you know obviously it's been a you know, a terrible um, pandemic that we've all had to deal with uh, and, and sort of change and adopt new processes um to to deal with but for for credit and lending it's been very interesting because uh, I, I guess what you could say about sort of the existing system has been very much magnified by the strains that um that covid19 and the, the lockdown has put on individuals so you know the the sort of lack of up-to-date real-time data that existed with with previous credit scoring models um, the the sort of lack of of true insight into consumer affordability and and financial stability Um, and and their sort of resilience. So, you know, looking at how a customer or potential customer is prepared for potential financial shocks, all all those sort of um, minute details that don't uh, contribute to existing credit scores uh, have now become much, much more important. Uh, And so we've been working quite closely with lenders to kind of uh, fill that gap of of data and, and help them, uh, enter the market and help them lend to customers that, that need it more than ever. And obviously you've got government backed initiatives like, um, the C bills and bounce back loan schemes that are injecting capital into small businesses and, and small enterprises. Um, and you've got, you know, consumers on, on furlough and things like that. So the ability for lenders to kind of navigate all of those changes and, and still provide products without just sort of kind of Going uh, retracting from the market, which is what you know historically happened in in kind of previous financial crises, has been has been really great to see, and it's been a real proof point for our business. So we've certainly adjusted around product and, and fulfilling that need, and then also all the kind of uh, practicalities that you, you'd imagine going with being locked down. So you know having the team fully remote, which fortunately we're we're kind of was something we did already, and uh, sort of uh, on a weekly basis. So we were able to adjust to that quickly and and um you know fundamentally business has continued you know uh, meetings and uh, customer relationship calls and uh, stakeholder conferences and all that sort of stuff is is just uh, kind of been conducted online so yeah we we've been able to adapt and and, and it's been you know overall a, uh, something that's that's kind of shown our product in a positive light
0: great pretty i want to delve a little bit more into this piece here around how fintech is is particularly supporting wider society as we essentially navigate through covid-19. so if you look at open for example very clearly it's providing richer data insights on the creditworthiness of individuals for lending decisions. Um, but particularly if we are facing this type of recession that that many experts are are telling us we're going to be facing in the coming months. Um, There's also quite an appetite to be looking at how we can better predict when individuals might be showing early signs of financial distress, and also how we can support individuals in making personalized financial decisions and financial management. What is Credit Kudos doing in this space, and do you have any additional thoughts around that?
1: So the traditional model for Uh, credit scoring that I mentioned earlier essentially looks at um, past borrowing performance as a predictor of future outcomes. So every time you take out a loan or a credit product that's, that's logged on a file um, that file can be retrieved by lenders from one or more of the the three credit reference agencies. And then they can use that data to say, you know, based on the fact that I repaid on time or didn't whether I'm likely to, to be a good performer, um, which for a long time has, has worked well. Um, the, the challenge is, you know, firstly, a lot of people don't tend to take out credit uh, as much as they used to, and they don't sort of know that they've got to build this history up and it's not the kind of, um, system where if you don't, uh, you know, you don't use credit, you, you've sort of got a good score and you, you only lose it if you you've sort of behaved badly. It doesn't exist until you start to use credit. So there are a lot of people that are, are missed for for reasons like that and, and also various, various other things. So, what we do in, instead um, of just looking solely at, at sort of past borrowing data is we take open banking data, which you mentioned, so uh, bank transaction history typically for two or, or three years of, of sort of the customer's account um, history. And then we, we subsequently look at uh, outcomes of, of loan products based on that data. So essentially a customer will go through our platform, supply that open banking data with consent through open banking, and then from the lender we'll retrieve Um, through our status as a credit reference agency, we'll retrieve the the loan performance. So we'll we'll see whether the customer went on to to repay or not. And then we'll we'll kind of fuse those two things together and use um, machine learning to say, well, what was it about the sort of before data that predicted the after? And that means that uh, using that that new model, we can now uh, take anyone's bank account history. So it might be from a challenger bank account. It might be from an incumbent bank account. It might be from an overseas bank account. And we can process that and, and form a prediction uh, of the likelihood of that customer to repay and therefore we can reach a, a much wider number of customers with a greater degree of accuracy. So, so that, um, that kind of change in approach and, and that change has only been sort of enabled by these new standards like open banking has meant that we now can offer a, uh, a new type of product where, where exist sort of existing solutions aren't very good at serving a certain type of customer. And that means we can reach more people. Um, so I, I think that, that kind of, uh, sort of, Change in approach has meant that, like I said before, we're, we're now much more relevant and able to provide solutions to a wide number of people, and, and also with the fruition of open banking the, as a sort of ecosystem in the UK, we, we now have a sort of wider user base that could access this this solution.
0: Excellent, and and I know Freddie that this year you and Police Credit Union in partnership won the Affordable Credit Challenge run by Nesta Challenges and HMT. What was it like working with PCU, and how was your collaboration really support the police and the armed forces?
1: Yeah, so um, it, it, it was obviously fantastic to be selected for that um, that grant program by uh, Treasury and Nestor, and then and then we went on to, to ultimately win it, which was fantastic. Um, working with cre- the credit union sector is quite interesting because a, a sort of uh, often they've been portrayed as as kind of Sort of overlooked or underserved when it comes to technology itself, and and uh, certainly I know through through work that Innovate Finance is doing, for example, that, that there's a lot more that we can think about in terms of how we put these kind of long-standing sort of microfinance institutions together with fintechs to to kind of get uh, more products to market. Um, and the Affordable Credit Challenge was was a great example of that. So the uh, um, Protect and Serve Credit Union, which encompasses the police, armed forces, prison service, and now also healthcare and, and fire workers as well, um, was, was sort of looking to work with a fintech provider to help them not only reach more customers, but also with a greater degree of efficiency so they can um, they can grow their customer base and, and, and lend more money. Um, and so we worked with them through the the program to, to build a solution that would essentially allow them to automate decision making um, and, and do that with just uh, sort of Uh, instead of sort of a a human underwriter going through physical documentation, they'd be able to sort of fully uh, take that process online and and have a sort of digital end to end process. Um, And, and, you know, that organization that we were very lucky they're they're sort of very tech focused, very forward thinking, Um, you know, PCU operates as a sort of FinTech itself. So we were able to kind of come up with some really great solutions and and what was um, significant with it being sort of through the affordable credit challenge was we were then able to kind of package up, what we would delivered and, and take that to other credit unions in the market and say, you know, these problems are common to you too. Um, we've built a tool that we think can help you and, and would you like to use it? And, and we've started to do that and, and sort of seen a, a massive growth in, in those companies using our tools and, and therefore being able to reach more customers. So it, it's, it was a first step. And I think, um, there's a lot more we can do now to, um, to sort of continue that collaboration. And we've got, you know, plans to work with those guys to, to sort of build new products. Um, later this year and, and next. So, uh, yeah, really, really pleased with where that's going.
0: That's great, Freddie. And I know we're, we're working quite closely with the police credit union as well. And I know with your team to see how we can facilitate some more of that collaboration between fintechs and the credit unions in the autumn as well. I, I want to turn a little bit and look at the sort of overarching impact that COVID-19 has had on the wider fintech ecosystem here in the UK. I mean, do you feel that enough has been done to really support the fintech and the innovation community since COVID first essentially kicked off a few months back? Or is there more that needs to be done to ensure we make it out through to the other side?
1: I think, um, I think honestly, uh, yes, like, uh, it's, it's been really good to see um, not just government, but also regulators, I think you know the the fCA 's response has been um, really quite impressive in, in terms of the speed and and quality of, of, of changes and, and interventions that they 've um, they 've put in place since the the pandemic and the lockdown and similarly um, government initiatives particularly think things like the future funds um, you know I, I think that that 's kind of a, a great a great example of, of not only um, you know helping companies that are sort of not inside the realm of, of the C-bills or the, the kind of loan schemes that we, we talked about before, but also, um, you know, for the government to kind of take a stake in in what will ultimately be some great high growth businesses. Um, and it's also, you know, off the back of that, we've seen some really big uh, fintech investment rounds in the last couple of weeks. And I think, uh, I think that the, the future fund, although perhaps you know not involved with many of those has sort of um, kind of helped restart the momentum of investing and, and, um, that has sort of led to you know, more confidence and therefore more more greater sort of later stage rounds and things like that. So um, yeah, I, I, I think it's really good um, what's happened in terms of you know, making the best out of what, what's a terrible situation. And um, as I said before, you know, we, we as a business having raised money at the start of this lockdown um, have seen sort of some of the trends in the conversations that we were having when we were fundraising being replicated in, in I know, in, in some other investment rounds and, you know, the, the classic fintech mantra of taking, you know, offline, paper-based, in-person processes to a digital, um, online, streamlined journey. Um, you know that that sort of need has has only grown now that we're all stuck inside. So the the, <laughs> the need for what what we're providing as a fintech community is is, is magnified. So I, I think you know it's it's a great time to investing in fintech companies, and and I think that you know what the the government interventions have allowed allowed us to see is is, you know not just big companies taking investment but also you know smaller sort of um early stage seed companies that perhaps would have not been able to continue be able to kind of raise a a, you know a sort of interim amount of funding to get to the next uh, sort of milestone in their business which is good
0: yeah freddie we're hearing very similar sentiment across the system Uh, we just launched our Investment report on the first half of 2020, um, where we saw about 1.8 million U.S. dollars invested into UK fintech. Now that's about a 39% drop on what was invested in the same time last year in 2019, but it's actually a 22% uh, jump in what was invested in the second half of 2019. So again, I think there's there's some scope for some optimism, even though it's going to be a very difficult um, difficult time going forward for any business and for any sector. So. Freddie we've spoken a lot on these podcasts about leadership in the face of the crisis and I think particularly from someone like you who's had such strong experience in building a building a company uh, that's really making a difference uh, to individuals and and to wider society I'm quite keen to hear from you uh, what you think is the most important about being a leader uh, during a time like COVID-19 or what are some of the the learnings that you've you've dealt with and trying to part to your team
1: well, that's a that's a very flattering description. <laughs> I'm not sure I'm entirely worthy of all of that, but uh, I, I think um, it's it's a really uh, difficult and sort kind of thought provoking question because um, it is harder to spot, um, you know, problems or challenges potentially when 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 everyone's sort of remote working and you've got you know a variety of different personalities that work in different ways. Um, not to mention kind of new people entering that that environment um, and and just sort of keeping people motivated and and feeling they're sort of part of a coherent group um, is is really important and and it needs to be sort of a more high touch process because that kind of stuff doesn't happen through osmosis in the office at the moment. So um, we've been doing a lot to kind of just keep people engaged, having more sort of regular FaceTime structured communication. So I think one of the mistakes that, um, companies are perhaps making in, into the light of, of COVID is just sort of assuming that everyone being on laptops and having Slack and whatever else is, is the same as being in the office. And, you know, we can just chat through problems all the time and have more meetings. And, and actually what you need is, is people to kind of, uh, make synchronous communication, right? Rather than, uh, sorry, no, make, make asynchronous communication rather than synchronous communication. So rather than just sort of typing on chat, they, they need to sort of sit down, write their thoughts down, construct, um documents and, and share them with people and, and sort of share knowledge through written words so that, that, that stuff's uh, recorded. And I think, um, that that's really important that we've sort of invested in, in building those internal knowledge bases. So people that do join the company kind of know what's going on and can understand things. Um, I think in sort of raw leadership term, uh, sort of raw leadership traits, I, I, I'd be hard pushed to say exactly what, what we've sort of been doing differently. I think, um, being very vocal about everything that that's going on you know transparency transparency from sort of top to bottom in in terms of what this means for the business what we're doing how we're responding you know how this changes our forecasts our projections um what you know what we're likely to see before the end of the year and um sort of being just very uh, communicative about all those things and and giving people um different different sort of channels by which they can kind of give feedback and ask questions and and be assured about these things is 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 really important so I yeah kind of obvious but um I think that's the the main thing to remember is that you know people express themselves in different ways and and you need to kind of have an outlet for everyone to kind of make sure that they're all um feeling happy and and motivated and and you know um coping as we we kind of navigate this all together
0: absolutely words to live by (laughs) on that end Great. Freddie, thank you so much uh, for joining us for the Innovate Finance podcast. And once again, thank you listeners for tuning into us today. So please look out for upcoming episodes and follow us on Twitter and LinkedIn for more on our forthcoming events and programs. As always, until next time, please stay safe and stay well and speak soon.